3: From KQED. From KQED Public Radio in San Francisco, I'm Nina Kim. Coming up on Forum. Ian Manuel was 14 years old when he was sentenced to life without parole for shooting and injuring a woman. While in prison, Manuel was placed in solitary confinement for 18 years. He joins us to talk about his experience. And as the Biden administration passes the 100-day mark, some observers on the left have been surprised that the president's policies are more progressive than promised on the campaign trail. Biden has pushed big programs on infrastructure, childcare, and education. But how does California, a state that went for Senator Bernie Sanders in the 2020 primary and also has a strong moderate streak, grade Biden's performance so far? We want to hear from you. Join us.
0: This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
3: At a town hall event a little over a week ago, here's what Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez had to say about President Biden and his administration.
4: I do think that um, the Biden administration and President Biden has definitely exceeded expectations that progressives had. Uh, you know, I'll be frank. I think a lot of us expected a much more conservative administration.
3: So how did progressives get Biden wrong? That's the question Anand Giridharadas tackles in his piece for The Atlantic last month, where he writes, quote, few of us expected that this president, given his record, a knife's edge Congress and a crisis that makes it hard to look an inch beyond one's nose, would begin to be talked about as potentially transformational. Anand Giridharadas is author of the Inc. newsletter and the book Winners Take All, the elite charade of changing the world. Anand Giridharadas, welcome to Forum.
5: Thank you so much for having me back.
3: I guess the best place to start is with what you did expect. <laughs> what did you right. expect from Biden pre-inauguration and on the campaign
5: trail? Um, you know, I think Joe Biden. There, there are two ways to, to answer that. You know, one is based on his campaign pledges, which were actually more in line with what he's ended up being. This kind of somewhat surprisingly progressive figure. Um, But the other way to look at it, which is the way most of us look at people, is based on their kind of life's record. Um, In other words, you may have a bunch of stuff on a website um, saying what you'll do, but you have a record of what you have done, how you've been, how you've shown up in these conversations for 40 years. And on that question, which is, I think, the question that I and probably most people base their judgment on one way or another, Joe Biden was a moderate, cautious, conservative Democrat who on many of the fundamental questions of the last generation was on a kind of very incrementalist and conservative end of a, of an argument within the Democratic Party. Um, you know, a Democrat who voted, as many Democrats did, for a lot of the Reagan tax and government cutting package of 1981, for example, a package that was in many ways the seedbed of the neoliberal era were still in uh, in American politics uh, a, a Democrat who you know was in favor of wars that other Democrats were not in favor of a, a Democrat who on issues of race and and policing and mass incarceration was on what is kind of widely recognized as the wrong side of the issue now the consensus having changed and so my instinct uh, my reading of that record and as well as comments you know, like Biden saying at the beginning of the, the 2020 campaign for rich people, nothing would fundamentally change in, in this country. That's the kind of Democrat I assumed he was, but underneath him, there were these very big tectonic shifts going on in the party. And the the funny situation that occasions you and I talking on the show today is that he won uh, with that background of record, but the progressive conversation was winning the conversation. And so it ended up being this kind of strange Bedfellows White House where he won, but the terms of the debate had drastically shifted. And the question then became, will he go with the new terms of the debate? And COVID, um, I think, tipped the scale Mm. uh, in that direction. Because if there was a case for going with a more progressive uh, consensus that was on the rise for a more muscular approach to government, so on and so forth. Uh, COVID is is the greatest possible uh, reason and excuse to go in that direction.
3: And so that's why we're seeing some of these big government proposals and and policies. Uh, talk about the ones that he has enacted or that he's pushed. That's really catching you and other people on the left that you spoke with by surprise.
5: So there's policies and then there's also uh, the philosophy that animates policies. Mm-hmm. And because of how early this is, there's, there's, you know, a little bit of policy that's, that's in the, in the tank already, but, but a lot of you know new philosophy we can talk about. So, you know, in, in the rescue, just the size of the packages, the rescue plan, which was passed uh, some of the, infrastructure and and family stuff, which is still a proposal. um, A lot of that, first of all, is just bigger, bigger than what Democrats have been comfortable with in past administrations, just drastic, you know, bigger than what the Obama administration was comfortable pushing uh, in 2009, just quantitatively bigger. Um, There are also, you know, differences in kind. In the rescue plan, there is a child provision that i'm sure you've discussed in the past on this network with, you know that gives families a certain amount of money $3600 a year mm-hmm. per per child um, first of all that's real money that helps people but that is a philosophical you know break from the past it is not some elaborate program it doesn't have this requirement or that requirement it is giving people money uh, as a, a kind of almost rudimentary basic come very much out of step with what most mainstream Democrats, certainly of Biden's persuasion, have been pushing for years. Um, But then really, in some ways, what catches my eye even more, although it's not policy and it's not a check in the mail yet, is philosophy. Uh, Are you operating within the Reaganite consensus that in many ways presidents Clinton and Obama continue to operate in, not of their choosing, uh, in which government is kind of a regrettable thing. You're kind of apologetic about government. Bill Clinton said the era of big government is over. Um, Or are you making a muscular, militant case for the redemptive force of government in people's lives? And I think what is interesting is I have heard Joe Biden take that argument on in a way that, uh, feels fresh and feels novel. Uh, when I talked to Mike Donald one of his longest serving advisors, who's now with him in the white house, but who's known him, you know, actually started working with him in 1981 when Reagan, Reagan took office. He said, you know, look like he truly thinks that this can be the time where we end the way the country is operated since Reagan. So they are quite forthright about the fact that they think they can break out of the Reaganite consensus in a way that implicitly they're saying their predecessors in the Democratic Party uh, did not.
3: You mean the Reaganite consensus in some ways that can be in, encapsulated by uh, the problem. Government is the problem, as, as Reagan famously said. I actually just want to play a little bit of Biden giving a February speech on the state of the economy and the need for the rescue American rescue plan, just because I think it just fits so well with what you're talking about here. So let's listen.
0: So, the way I see it, the biggest risk is not going too big. If we go, if we go too small, we've been here before.
3: We're talking about President Biden with Anand Giridharadas, and we're talking about whether or not he has surprised you with some of the positions that he's taken and the proposals that he has put out. And I want to invite you, our listeners to join the conversation and tell us. If President Biden and his administration have done just that, are you happy with the plans that he's putting out there? Or maybe unhappy? Give us a call, 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. I want to bring Laurel Rosenhall into the conversation, a reporter who covers California politics at Cal Matters. Laurel Rosenhall, thanks so much for joining us
4: to be here Mina thank you
3: you pointed that you pointed to the fact that some of his actions his proposals have come from the Californians in his administration we talked a while ago I think when he was president-elect and he hadn't been putting out his picks uh, right away can you just remind us who is there from California that you think is likely having sway?
4: Well, obviously, we have the vice president, who was you know, <laughs> yes. California's um, former senator, Kamala Harris. But, um, you know, the leader of the Health and Human Services Department is Javier Becerra. He was California's attorney general and before that, a California congressman for a long time. Um, the leader of the Small Business Administration is Isabel Guzman, who was in the Newsom administration for quite a while. The leader of the uh, Department of Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas, he was a top federal prosecutor in Los Angeles, who grew up in Southern California. Um, Cesar Chavez's granddaughter has a position in the White House, and uh, Janet Yellen, of course, the Treasury Secretary, she was a UC Berkeley economics professor for a long time. So those are just some of them. That's not even all of them, but right. those are some pretty influential positions and people who have deep roots in California.
3: And Anand Gary Doradas, you also pointed out that he has surrounded himself, especially on the economy front, with fewer centrist sort of Wall Street connected economic counselors. Talk about how how significant that is.
5: You know, there's this saying in Washington's cliche, personnel is policy. Um and it's 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 true because a president is is one person, um, and it takes thousands and thousands and thousands of people to you know, steer the, the ship that is the United States government that does so many little things in every corner of the earth. And so these decisions about people matter. It's not just the president's own orientation. And there has been on the economic team, uh, particularly talking to progressives for this piece, the thing that they could point to as the clearest break that doesn't require, you know, prognostication, the clearest break right now, right here is there was a click of people, uh, wall street, Bros, you could say, who were really influential in Democratic Party circles of the last generation, worked in the Clinton White House, worked in the Obama White House, spent good time at Citibank and Goldman Sachs. In between, you know, just so they, you know, and they, and, and these guys, Robert Rubin, Larry Summers, Tim Geithner, these guys were brilliant system riggers. So sometimes they would rig the system from inside the system. Sometimes they would rig the system from the banks themselves, but you know, very much whenever there was a fork in the road between what was good for capital and what was good for people, the people in that click went with what was good for capital. And, you know, if you're listening to this on the radio and the 2009 recovery, you never really made whole by that. It was brought to you by that click, right? If rising inequality has hurt you, it was brought to you in large measure by that click of people. Well, that click is out. Right. And it's just really important to underscore that that group of people, no one expected to be out. They're out. None of them have jobs. Geithner does not have a job. Summers does not have a job. Rubin does not have a job in this administration. They're out. And if you look at the people who've replaced them, Bharat Ramamurthy, Heather Boucher, many others in the economic team. If you look at forget what they're saying, look at what their record is. What did they cut their teeth on in economics? What was their academic work? What organ- it's all inequality. They're all inequality experts. Huh. that's their focus that's their that's their training that's their issue.
3: We're talking with Anand Giridharadas, author of the Inc newsletter and the book Winners Take All and also Laurel Rosenhall is with us who covers California politics for Cal Matters. You our listeners are with us telling us what your reaction is to Biden's first 100 days and generally this sense that he has been more progressive than expected. Michael tweets for example, Biden makes Obama look like Mitt Romney. We'll get to more of your reactions after the news. You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the Biden administration passing the 100 day mark and observers, especially on the left, saying that they're pleasantly surprised that the president's policies are more progressive than promised, especially on the campaign trail. But how does California grade President Biden, a state that went for Senator Bernie Sanders in the 2020 primary, but also is known for its strong, moderate streak. You can tell us at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. Email us, forum at kqed.org. We're talking with Laurel Rosenhall, a reporter covering California politics for Cal Matters, and Anand Giridharadis, author of the Inc. newsletter. And listeners are writing in with Anka tweets, if by progressive you mean helping Americans, then yes, his focus on the safety of all Americans and FDR-style jobs plan, which will also aid businesses and improve infrastructure, absolutely exceeds my expectations. But remember that he isn't increasing the minimum wage or helping asylum seekers. So in my mind, he is not that progressive. He's simply accomplishing that which he promised. Laura Rosenhall, I just want to talk with you a little bit. This is reminding me that you also wrote how You know, basically Democrats holding political power in California has enabled the Golden State to be this lab of big blue ideas, one of them being the minimum wage, for example, and uh, various other things. You feel like these are things that Biden is bringing to the national stage thanks to California's experimentation with them. Can you talk a little bit about that and feel free to react to Anka if you want as well?
4: Yeah, well, uh, you know. California is obviously at the forefront of a lot of these progressive ideas that um, you know, nationally that Democrats have have talked about. I will say that <clears throat> though California is um in the national spectrum extremely progressive, it doesn't mean that, you know, progressive ideas are a slam dunk here. There there is a lot of contention among Democrats in the in the state capitol. They have a supermajority, but they don't always agree. And there is a very strong, um, a powerful influence from the, from the moderates. So, um, so even though California is advancing, has already advanced some of these progressive ideas, like for example, the $15 minimum wage, um, it, it usually comes together through, you know, some sort of compromise with moderates, or um, sometimes things don't happen. You know, we've seen some progressive bills this year already get killed. Um, so on the minimum wage, for example, you know, they're, that that came together only because then Governor Jerry Brown insisted on these sort of um, it, possible exceptions in cases when the economy had tanked or things like that. Um, you know, Biden has you know said he'd like to do the fifteen dollars minimum wage, obviously with the procedural issues in the United States Senate that didn't happen. Um, but there are other areas where Biden is talking about you know similar things like greenhouse gas emissions, California has long had policies in place to try to, um, to, to, to goals to reduce greenhouse gas emissions and a bunch of policies to get there. Um, You know, these are difficult and complicated things, even when you get the political will to do it. Um, You know, it's very hard to, to, um, to make the changes, but California is working on that one. Um, Two years of community college tuition free. That is something that California has on the books that, Biden has also proposed. Um, but there again, I would point out the devil is kind of in the details because the, um, the, the way to get tuition-free community college in California is only if you're a quote unquote first-time, full-time student. Um, that's not them, that's not who, most of the students who go to community college. They're not straight out of high school and going to school full-time. A lot of them are adults who are working and 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 squeezing courses in around um, where they can. So so you know these policies ideas are that are coming out of California are being emulated, but I will say the devil's in the detail in terms of you know how how they're implemented here and how they're implemented they would be implemented nationally aren't going to always you know be the same
3: yes, and you were also talking about potentially the need for cooperation on bigger things, especially with the filibuster in place. I mean, and there are some mentioned Democrats and Republicans who are not happy saying that uh, they've decried the lack of bipartisanship. I think there was this editorial Uh, board piece for the Orange County Register that was saying that they wanted to see more of that from him and others who are saying he He's just spending too much money or pushing things too quickly. He wants to raise taxes and so on. But there's definitely a lot of other people with their skepticism. Jordan writes, I'm a black farmer and Biden has given me money to buy farmland. I hope to pass the farm on to my children. But now Biden plans to tax unrealized capital gains at death and at double the tax rates. Biden gives with one hand and takes away twice as much with the other. In the end, his liberal policies will hurt black farmers and their families. Let me go to Jan in South San Francisco. Hi, Jan. Join us.
2: Yeah, I'll give uh, Biden a C. I was really happy with uh, the uh, pandemic bill that he signed in law. There were a lot of good things in that. But uh, as somebody who voted for Bernie Sanders, uh, I was just disappointed that, for example, he put in uh, somebody as a defense secretary who was on the Raytheon board. So, I mean, we're going to maybe continue with our bloated military budget. And, uh, you know, Biden hasn't really touched on, uh, you know, Medicare for all or, Mm. Uh, student debt relief. And, you know, the final thing I will say is that in his, uh, you know, uh, speech in Congress, he said a lot of good things. But if uh, Biden doesn't reform the filibuster or do anything to uh, touch that, then all that he said, he's not going to get that passed uh, through. So it's really going to hinge on, uh, you know, what he can do do to reform that
3: filibuster. Jan, thanks. You're being echoed here by Noel, who writes his positions are good, but they need to pass in Congress. They need to mobilize the millions of parents who want federal help with child care and elder care. Anand Giridharadas, I mean, it's still early. The proposals are just proposals until they are passed, as our listeners are pointing out. And also, I think Jan is tapping into a lot of progressives who you have also noticed still have their doubts. Can you talk a little bit about that?
5: I I think your listeners are absolutely right. Uh, You know, I I think what has made me optimistic and cautiously so is what feels like a turning of a ship, but you know, the ship is massive and the turn right now is modest. And the turn so far augurs the possibility of, you know, a, a much more meaningful course of policy over the next couple of years, if not more. But, by no means is it is it guaranteed and i think your uh, some of the, the comments are exactly right that the fundamental question is going to be this you know in retrospect covid policy is going to be have been easy now that sounds wild because what's harder than covid policy but in an emergency like this giving people money getting people vaccinated these are in, intrinsically popular things that people are going to love when you start getting into the rebuilding the country stuff, people still love that a lot, but it's a little, it's, it's a couple steps removed from the acute crisis that people were feeling. And then you start getting into some of the, you know, social safety net stuff and it's some further steps removed. And then you're getting into, you know, conflicts with corporate power as he's getting into with some of the tax proposals Mm. and they're not going to lie down. So what's he going to do? Is he going to is he going to give up the way he gave up on the minimum wage when there was a little bit of an obstacle in the Senate? Or is he going to fly around this country and barnstorm and and and, you know, kind of really push people? Is he going to stick his neck out on the filibuster or is he not? Uh, Is a smaller and smaller number of white Americans through in underpopulated states going to be able to have a veto on on the future itself in America through the United States Senate, or is that going to be reformed? Uh, These are fundamental questions and making America governable again um, needs to be the real project here because in a way getting people checks and stuff is the easy part, but you're not going to be able in a sustainable way over the next many years to get people checks or do any other meaningful things, get people healthcare, get people education, this and that, if you don't render America governable.
3: Well, Doris writes, Biden has proved to be the man I've always believed he is. I'm not surprised. I'm thrilled. Laurel Rosenhall, I know you need to leave us soon, but just really quickly, what is your sense Um in terms of how California, as I sort of mentioned in the introduction, the two things that it is, it is a state that goes for Bernie Sanders, but also when we look at, especially our uh, propositions and things, tends to have a moderate streak. So so what is your sense of this before you go? Tell us.
4: Well, I think from my vantage point in Sacramento, where I'm, you know, paying a lot of attention to the legislature and the governor, um, it, it it really has been remarkable. I mean... <laughs> How different this it is for the state government to deal with it a, a, a democratic administration. I mean, it seems so obvious, but it really is um, just so different. Where we saw, you know, Gavin Newsom having to just do these elaborate sort of dances with the with with President Trump about kind of being against his policies, but also trying to praise him in order to get through the pandemic or emergency aid during wildfires, or there was just such a, such a strange dynamic there. And then, you know, now where you can see that he's so much more relaxed and feels like much more, um, just influential and heard and cooperative with the federal government. So, you know, I see that and, and, and yes, the tensions, I mean, the, the voters in California, um, are, um, you know, like you said, voted for Bernie Sanders, are very progressive in some ways, but we have a lot of um, corporate influence that counterbalances the labor influence in our politics here. And so when it comes to propositions and taxes, you know, we, have a, we, we, we have a fairly conservative electorate when it comes to things like raising taxes. Mm-hmm. And even our progressive governor, Newsom, has you know, promised that he's not embracing any new tax increases this year.
3: Well, Laurel Rosenhall, thanks. Really appreciate your insights. Thanks for having me. Laurel Rosenhall of Cal Matters covers California politics. We have Anand Giridharadas still with us and you, our listeners, as well. And and to Laurel's point, Henry writes, Our definition of progressive does not take care of our senior citizens. I'm an African-American retiree, and I worked hard and invested in property in the stock market. But now Biden wants to increase the tax on my retirement income. Raising taxes will destroy retirees and their families who take care of them. Let me go to caller Peter in St. Petersburg, Florida. Oh hey, Peter.
2: Hi, I have I think an interesting metaphor. It's like riding a bicycle when you ride a bicycle, you feel like you're going you're balanced, but you're constantly turning left and right, little adjustments to keep the to keep if you ever tried riding a bicycle with your eyes closed, you realize right away you you can't stay vertical. You're constantly adjusting left and right. So when you mentioned Bernie, you could say overall he wants to turn left, but we're always making small adjustments, turning a little left, turning a little right. And that's you you can say within the Biden administration, there are these small turns to the left and to the right. Overall, from the previous administration, we may be turning more to the left and then – from the time of, say, Reagan was a stronger turn to turning to the right. Hmm. I mean, but the 20th century overall is a turn to the left. I mean, 20th century it,
3: overall, huh? Overall, yeah.
2: I think so, because because if you think about the uh, laissez faire capitalism of the end of the 19th century, that's gone. We've got Social Security. No one is going to overthrow Social Security. We've already turned left in that regard. Social Security. Well, Peter-
3: Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. You're making some really interesting points that I I actually want to get Anand to comment on because, Anand, you write a lot about the moment having such an influence on Biden. You touched on this very early on in our conversation, but I would love to hear you say a little bit more about that and also... The fact that you have the moment and a person in Biden who you at least have seem to have concluded is quite persuadable, like not an ideologue necessarily.
5: Yeah. Well, first of all, uh, to the caller's point, uh, I, I endorse bike riding. I just taught my son how to ride a bike uh, in the last uh, last couple of weeks, so it's a great <laughs> it's a great activity. Um, you know, I think the the larger point I took from that caller is about these kind of drifts in policy where where the the you know consensus not the not the little left right corrections when you're steering a wheel but but kind of real shift one way or another and so you get fdr in the 30s and that begins really a 40 plus year era of a consensus around the utility of government to make people's lives better and everybody on the right and left operates within that fundamental consensus they may disagree but they're all in that consensus right so Nixon creates the EPA. Eisenhower supports, you know, taxes that many people today would consider confiscatory on rich people. Then the 80s, you have a drift to the right. And you have a Reagan consensus that we were talking about earlier. And you have this notion of government being evil, bad, or just merely regrettable or a little too big, a little too bloated, kind of like the DMV. And Clinton and Obama don't love that consensus, but, but operate within it, can't seem to escape it. What I hope slash slightly think is happening right now is another of those turnings. And those turnings, presidents are important to them, but they're often bigger than presidents. And in this case, the groundwork has been laid for some years now, well before Biden was even running in 2020. There has been a shift away from the neoliberal consensus, the manic hypercapitalism of these years, by the simple fact that most people listening to this have not been served by them. Ask yourself, what has that manic hypercapitalism the dynamic scheduling at your company that uh, you know the shift away from defined pensions the private equity uh, sovereignty in american life what what have any of these things done for you are you are you better off because of them are your children's prospects so so people listening to this know the reasons that they have lost faith in that consensus that market fundamentalist consensus and a new consensus has been in the works and I think Biden stepped in in that moment. And to, to your point, to his credit, he is persuadable. Most of us, when we change our mind about something, are embarrassed to share it with people, embarrassed to admit it. He has embraced a new consensus that isn't necessarily who he is. And, and so, part of what we're trying to do at the Inc. newsletter is feature the voices of people who are trying to pressure him because. Pressure is working in this administration. Pressure on the patents issue forced them mm-hmm. to move. Pressure on uh, a bold economic plan has forced them to move. There's some evidence that pressure on the student debt relief issue may get some results. So pressure, pressure, pressure. And 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 I invite your your listeners um, if they if they want. To, to read those kind of conversations, come to the.inc and 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 check out these conversations. We've interviewed Chuck Schumer, Elizabeth Warren, uh, activists. We have some patent activists coming that's coming on next week. But these are the people who are actually driving this administration are the people on the outside. And that's actually one of the most optimistic uh, things I can tell you.
3: Well, Sue writes, I'm happy that Biden and the Democrats in Congress are doing the best they can. I'm still worried That they won't be able to do much because there are not 60 Democrats in the Senate. Congress makes the laws. A president can't do much alone. Ian tweets, Biden's actions are pure lip service while his minions kneecap legislation in Congress. It's political theater for chumps. What? I know you're talking with people. I know you're talking about him being persuadable and so on. Like, where do you stand on this? You have, you and your piece did invoke FDR, not that you're saying that that is who President Biden is or will be or that we can even say uh, at this point. But I'm just really curious what you are watching for as this administration continues past this sort of arbitrary mark that we make of the first 100 days.
5: I think I'll be watching for when the fights get a little harder. Um, How gutsy are they? You know, um, so when it's not emergency relief in a pandemic, but it's fighting to raise people's pay again, we're going to do a minimum wage fight later in the year, let's say, how much guts are there? How much is he willing to lay it on the line? How much is he willing to take those hits? When it comes to time to say, we're not going to get voting secured for people in this country without being willing to break the filibuster, At that point, is he loudly and clearly going to advocate for breaking the filibusters? He can go on prime time and, you know, make that case to the American public Um, when big corporations, as they probably are just starting to do, but haven't yet organized themselves are pushing back against the raising the capital gains tax and other things like that, um, corporate tax. Like, is he going to is he going to really go to the mat? On that, those are going to be the defining tests of this administration.
3: Anand Doradas of the Inc. newsletter and author of Winners Take All, The Elite Charade of Changing the World. Thanks so much for your insights today. Appreciate it.
5: Thanks for having me.
3: And thanks, listeners, for always sharing your insightful opinions. I'm Mina Kim. Another segment of Forum is coming up next. Stay with us.